Hey everyone, before we start this week's show, we just want to remind you that we have a little documentary on the internet, don't we? We sure do. It's not quite as hard-hitting as Louis Theroux, but there may <laughs> no. be a couple more gags in it. It's the behind-the-scenes look at our tour from last year, uh, when we were stalked with a camera and they filmed us doing japes and stuff. Yeah, there's loads of behind-the-scenes bits and pieces, there's loads of interviews with us, there's little bits from the show. It's really, really fun. You can get it on the internet. It's called Behind the Gills. You can get it on Apple, Google. Amazon, Ask Jeeves, MySpace, <laughs> and all those places where you get stuff from. Yeah. Okay, on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Andrew Hunter-Murray and I'm sitting here with James Harkin, Anna Tajinsky and Alex Bell and once again we have gathered around the microphones with our four favourite facts from the last seven days, starting with... James. Okay, my fact this week is that if all the bacteria in the world disappeared, we wouldn't notice for about a week. (laughs) Would scientists notice in a lab if they were studying bacteria? Or yes. would they just think, <laughs> oh, would they, just think, oh they must be, be down the other end of the Petri dish they today. They are small. <laughs> but I think I'm talking more of the day-to-day you know, person going about their life. Right. So this anyway is from a paper. It's called Life in a World Without Microbes by Jack A. Gilbert and Josh D. Neufeld. And it's absolutely brilliant. I love it. Um, in this paper, they say it would take us nearly a week to realise what had happened... Uh, and then that they predict complete societal collapse only within a year or so. Oh, oh So the first week, you don't notice anything, and then 51 weeks later... It's all downhill. <laughs> the whole of society collapses. So that 51 weeks is really horrible. I reckon it would be. It'd probably get progressively worse. Yeah, and you know the end is nigh. You know, yeah. They say then, annihilation of most humans and non-microscopic life on the planet would follow a prolonged period of starvation, disease, unrest, civil war, anarchy, and global biogeochemical asphyxiation. But we're due for 90% of that already with the bacteria. That's true. But for the first week, it's fine. We're okay. Yeah. So the thing is, you have, let's think, what is there that we need microbes for and bacteria? So they're in your stomach, right? And they help you digest things. Okay. But I I found it really weird that you don't need, humans don't actually need them. Exactly. We could be unwell without them or we could find it hard to digest things, but we can survive without bacteria. I read that and I couldn't quite believe it because I thought, surely we must need them. But I think we just get constipated, wouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. So, but there are some animals which do need them, are there? Or loads yeah. of animals. Yeah. Although now Anna said that, okay, for the first week we might be constipated. <laughs> okay. But at least it's not prolonged a period of starvation, disease, unrest, civil war, anarchy, and global biogeochemical asphyxiation. Depends how bad your constipation is as well, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yes, animals do need it. So, cows would need it, for instance, mm. because they can't. Um, digest cellulose without uh, microbes and a few other animals would as well Um, but basically eventually what would happen is all the nitrogen wouldn't be able to be fixed the nitrogen cycle would stop which is something that we need for life Uh, so all of the so what because that all plants use that and then so the plants are going to die out yeah 
basically that life needs nitrogen and it goes around in a cycle like water does but without the microbes that would stop and um, which means that the oceans would get full of nitrogen which means all of the fish would die we'd struggle to make oxygen as well because a lot of microbes make oxygen so a lot of bad things would happen and this entire time everything is dying and so no, nitrogen isn't being produced but all the dead things just stay there well so yes it basically means that we need the mushrooms and I hate to say this <laughs> but we need the fungi if all the microbes die and they can't break anything down the only thing left to break things down is the mushrooms they step in and save us who'd have thought it it's not it's not an action film I especially want to see <laughs> um, would your poo stop smelling well and your sweat I think that's one of the real bonuses of week one <laughs> is that the smell of sweat is just caused by all the bacteria that's and true. so we would smell great for a you're week you're constipated so it doesn't really matter whether your poo smells or not <laughs> No, that is true. That would happen. Um, so Louis Pasteur, the famous guy, scientist guy. Um, <laughs> so on his Wikipedia page, famous guy. <laughs> he thought that we needed bacteria to live in microorganisms, otherwise we'd all die. And then a bit after him, two guys came along, 10 years later, two guys came along called George Nuttall and Hans Thurfelder, and they disproved it by getting a guinea pig and getting rid of all its bacteria and microbes, and the guinea pig still managed to live. How did they do that? Well, I reckon there was probably a lot of antibiotics involved. Oh. They didn't just give it a shower. <laughs> I reckon there was a shower involved. Yeah, you might as well soap it down. There must have been, right? Yeah. And this is called no-biotic living. Um, G-N-O, no-biotic. Um, get this, there is a place in the world where this has kind of happened. Your what? horror scenario, James. So, it's in Chernobyl. Oh. Lots of microbes and fungi got contamination and they died and as a result um, there are loads of trees in this place called the Red Forest which is where all the trees turned red and died and they're not decaying so uh -huh. there was a th there's leaf litter you know the sort of leaf mulch on the ground yep. it's three times thicker in the hottest bit of Chernobyl radiation wise than it is in areas without radiation. That's quite cool, isn't wow. it? Because leaf yeah. litter is quite a nice thing to walk through and yeah. kick it up in the air. Yeah, yeah. So you can go for some really nice awesome walks. <laughs> is uh, it, though? Because it's still going to be raining, so it's still going to get wet and soggy and nasty. It's just not uh, going to break down to dust. Yeah, he's right. Well, I reckon yeah. it's going to be really gross. Yeah, it's going to be mulch, isn't yeah. it? It is mulch, I'm afraid. That's not a romantic walk through the woods, is it? When you kick it up mulch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so bacteria are really cool, right? Yes. And you do actually, when you do our job, you get really bored, actually, of reading the all the journalists of who reading. say... <laughs> You get bored of reading. We have to do too much of it. But all journalists say, everyone thinks bacteria are just disease-causing bastards, and actually some of them are really great. But some of them are really great, and some of them are just cool. So I learned about this one, which is the, let's see if I can pronounce this, Acidotheobaculus, and you find it in caves. And it only comes, like a lot of bacteria, in kind of microbial mats. So they hang out together. Bacteria often work together. Comes in these microbial mats uh, with, you know, many millions of them all squashed up together. And it hangs off the ceiling and it looks exactly like a stalactite. Tight scoop. I always thought tight was off the ceiling and then someone told me it was the other way around. No, it's tight's come down. Yeah. That's what I always thought and someone told me I was wrong. Well, we're telling you, mm. you're right. right. Stalactite, hold on tight. Exactly, and stalactite mighty because it grows up. Or might poke you in the bum. <laughs> or <laughs> might fall on your head. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Tight These... to the ground. It's hard, isn't it? <laughs> Mnemonics are hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, this stuff looks like a stalactite and it hangs off the roof of caves, but it's got the exact consistency of bogeys. And if you read about it in... Is that, scientific, is that a scientific term? Yeah, because bogeys have lots of different consistencies. 
of a healthy bogey, James. <laughs> a country bogey, not one of these horrible London Got polluted it. bogeys. What would happen to your bogeys if all the bacteria disappeared? Great question. Would they get Ooh. stuck in your nose like your poo? No. Um, no. You got stuck in your nose. <laughs> you stuck in your nose. Like nasal constipation <laughs> is what I'm asking. Um, they would not be colourful like bogeys are now. I know, your pink bogeys have always <laughs> impressed me. But the colours are the bacteria, aren't they? Yeah. So you would still have mucus, but it would be really? see-through. Yeah. But what would it gather around? I thought the bacteria was the start of a mucus party. Yes, well, you might have hairs in your nose. I have got hairs in my nose. And they could be used as a nucleus. Yes, I see that now. But, I mean, it's clear, it's cleaner. It's well, That first week of your body, it's great. You don't smell, no, 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 no you're just like pooing. Like, all the disgusting <laughs> stuff stops. It's brilliant. You've got glassy like snot. Yeah. We've gone off topic. Sorry. We have we, we've strayed. I, sorry, what I'm saying is, there's this yeah. stuff, it's lumps of bacteria, which are basically bogeys hanging from the ceiling. And if you read journal articles about them, they're referred to snotites. As in stalactites. Oh, so, cool. you know, scientific journals, it's talking about the snotites. And they're actually really cool because they um, excrete sulfuric acid and that <laughs> dissolves the limestone and it makes caves go sparkly. So you get really sparkly caves um, because it creates gypsum, which is oh, like, you know, gypsum crystals. That is very cool. So they sparkle, but they are called snotites. That sounds like an ancient people, the snotites. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were fighting against the Hittites. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I looked up a few other what-ifs. Oh, good mm-hmm. idea. So this is a bit off topic, I know, but um, I just basically went into Google and started going through what if, I just what if X happened, and yep. um, there are loads of amazing results. So what would happen if there was no number six? This is on five thirty eight dot com. Just go straight from five to seven. Well, no, this is the. Th- I would. You might, but basically, this was a question asked by a child who was five and a half years old, and clearly oh, yeah. interested in what happens yep. next. And they went to mathematics professors at Duke University, and they said. Well, everything would fall apart. They said. <laughs> I imagine they said, stop wasting my time. I have no. more important research to be getting on with. They said it's really interesting because basically, if there's no six, there can't be any numbers higher than six. I you just can't don't have think seven. That's true. Is it? This is a maths professor who said all the other integers are out. It's very detrimental. If you think about it, how do you define six? Uh, one more than five. Uh, how do you define seven? Two oh. more than five, then you're fine. <laughs> hey, so, exactly. <laughs> so if you define it as one more than six, you're in trouble. But if yeah. you define it as two more than five, you're absolutely fine. Yeah. Five. But then if you start working that way, how do you define 11? Um, I, I call Six it... more than five, yeah. but there's no six. So Probably. now 11's in trouble. Exactly. This is an actual maths professor who said, we are screwed if we lose six. So... I think, to reassure him, you just... <laughs> the you risk just... is low. The risk is low. You just bump seven down, don't you? And then you bump eight down. <laughs> everyone gets bumped down one. <laughs> or you could promote everyone from zero to five. And you promote zero to one. Yeah. Zero's always wanted to be one. Yeah. Zero's just sitting there and uselessly. The, the concept of zero is a useless one, as established <laughs> by... All <laughs> that. But it, it didn't exist until, you know... It, it wasn't it about the 7th century? Yeah. How did we get yeah. to the 7th century without zero? It's impossible. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was the 6th century then, or the 8th. I don't know. <laughs> Um, anyway, I was looking at some what if stuff as well, yeah. mainly because you said you were, and I thought <laughs> I'll copy Andy. That's what I do. Um, so there's the, the what if that everyone thinks about: if we all jumped at the same time, what would happen? And if we all gathered together in the same place yeah. and jumped at the same time, then we would push the Earth in the opposite direction to the way we jumped by a hundredth the radius of a hydrogen atom, which I think is actually decent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that's not bad. Is it worth the organisation required? 
Yeah, that's not. I think that's not much actually. Anna. They could jump. <laughs> yeah. Also, because as soon as you come back, as soon as you come back down, the earth comes back up to meet you, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, so it's not long lasting. It's a very rare circumstance in which we need the earth to move that little distance for that shorter time. Would everyone at the other end of the earth go? Whoa, what was that? No, no, we're all the same <laughs> <end of the laughs> yeah, no one's even there to experience. It would be amazing, Alex, if you were the only person on the other side of the earth. <laughs> yeah. We just done it as oh an elaborate God. prank. Like, where is everyone? I must have missed a memo. <laughs> You're like, where is everyone? And why have I just moved one half the <laughs> diameter of a hydrogen atom? The entire world's jumping on a party. And you I click on Facebook. Oh, that's <laughs> where they are. <laughs> Seven billion attending. <laughs> one has not replied. <laughs> Can I, just, what, yeah. can I give you one more what if? Then I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know if you shot a powerful gun, uh, like a sort of a cannon gun, but a gun that exists today, a modern yeah. gun, on the moon, you can shoot yourself in the back. <laughs> That's really? so cool. It's yeah. an elaborate suicide method, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. If you want to fox the detectives. <laughs> one of Agatha Christie's later brainstorms <laughs> that she never wrote up. A man is found dead alone on the moon. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. So hang on, does the bullet go all the way around the yeah. moon? It does, so the moon's small enough that the gravitational <laughs> pull isn't too much. It basically goes, you have to be on top of a hill or on something. On a mountain, yeah. And okay. it kind of stays in very, very low orbit if you get yeah. the right velocity. That you obviously have to, you have to have a very precise shot. Um, oh, yeah. to make sure you do hit yourself. Does it only work its way around once, but if it, you if you shot it and then you felt it go past your ear, would it go around again so you'd have time to stand one thing for that? No, I think you've only got one chance, really? I reckon. Because then you'd lose momentum, wouldn't you? And yeah, then the, it, it does, still, it it does would, still have a gravitational yeah, pull. Yeah, it might still hit you, but it might hit you lower down, like in the testicles. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Aim high. This novel is getting better. Man is found shot in the testicles <laughs> on the moon alone. <laughs> that yeah. is a great what if. That's incredible. I pr- it was probably all from Randall Monroe. Who knows when you're looking up stuff, hypothetical stuff on the internet, how many of them were originally Randall Monroe? So yeah. we yeah. should credit him just in case. Randall Monroe basically invented the two words what and if. Didn't he did, he? yeah. 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 No, he, that's ridiculous, James. He just invented putting them together. Yeah, but what if he did? <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's time for fact number two, and that is my fact. My fact is the world's largest wine cellar has tunnels 150 miles long. And it's so big, it has to have traffic rules for people who drive through it. <laughs> that is very That's cool. Yeah, it's it's so cool. It's in Moldova, and it's got streets, and all the streets are named after different grapes. And you can drive a car through it. And a lot of employees there, they just cycle around all the time. Uh, we should say what it's called. It's called Milesti Michi, and it's, in, it's near the capital of Chisnau. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah, who knew? I mean, James, obviously, but who knew of the rest of humanity about Moldova's wine industry? I it's know amazing. because I've had Moldovan wine. Yeah, you don't. You like love it, it, don't you? Well, I do not rate it very highly on my list of um, wines by country. I must say, I've drunk a lot in Russia. They drink it a yeah. lot in Russia, and, and the same way they drink um, Georgian wines. I was reading that they really messed up the Moldovan wine trade. In fact, in t- I think it was about 2005 when Putin imposed some sanctions on Moldova and he banned all imports of their wine from yeah. going into Russia because they were a bit too pro-EU for him. Or I think he said it was some other reason, but I think it was because they were too yeah. pro-EU. And they're just loosening it. So that really wow. damaged their wine trade because about 40% of their exports went to Russia. But that's so weird because um, Vladimir Putin, he has his own cave in the Second largest wine cellar in Moldova. That must really piss him off. No, no, no. It's no, it's fine. That's only 120 kilometers. But he has his own cave there, and lots of celebrities or, or wealthy people have their own special little zone. Oh, it's like the Beverly Hills, but for wine. Yeah, yeah, but he had his 50th birthday party in that second largest wine cellar. It's in Krikova. 
So cool. The wine cellar at Krikova, have you heard about this? They have a race there? No. So um, it hosts a 10-kilometre race around the wine cellar, and you wear a headlamp, because it's, obviously it's quite dark a, a lot of the place, and at the end of it you get a glass of mulled wine, but during the race they hire someone to dress up as the Grim Reaper and chase you. <laughs> no way. <laughs> it sounds to me like the prize is getting the wine, right? Yeah. Kind of. But you're running around next to a load of wine. Yeah. <laughs> no so, one ever gets to the end. They it's, all it's like building an Olympic stadium out of gold medals. <laughs> <laughs> we should say that that second largest wine tunnel or cave or cellar in Moldova is also the second largest in the world. Oh, yeah, just, sorry, it, yeah. it majors in this thing of having big wine cellars. And this one, the biggest one, Milesti Mitsi. Uh, two million bottles it has, um, which is more than the next ten sellers combined. Wow. No. It's a big seller, mate. Jesus. That is really big. Yeah. Could try some. We are actually drinking wine now, aren't we, to celebrate this fact. That's we are. True, I was yeah. thinking it to celebrate. Nice one, James. You've earned yourself another glass for that. That's good. <laughs> That's I'm going... really going to help my <laughs> performance later <laughs> on. <laughs> um, I'll cave in and have a glass too. Very strong. Alex, have you got a pun that will earn you a glass <laughs> of this red wine? I don't have to have one because I'm the banker. <laughs> I've got nothing. Oh, well, never mind. Well, we've got some beer here. Yeah. What else can we say? So in Moldova, you will find the world's largest building in the shape of a bottle. Uh, and it is, <laughs> it hosts the Strong Drinks Museum. <laughs> wow. It sounds like an awesome museum, right? Yeah. yeah. Hello and welcome to this. <laughs> Would you like an audio guy? <laughs> the audio guy is the same guy. Yeah. Just, yeah. My wife. Is it on? Never <laughs> when you say the largest building shaped like a bottle, it's not that it's the largest building in the world and it's shaped like a bottle. No, mate. It's because... just that there are some buildings in the world shaped like bottles and Moldova has the biggest one. Yeah, so the largest building in the world is somewhere in Dubai or something, isn't it? <laughs> Or Taipei. And we would probably know if it was shaped like a wine well, bottle. Yeah. They kind of are. Aren't skyscrapers all shaped a bit like wine bottles? Oh. No. It's a great philosophical point for a another time. Bit. The gherkin isn't. Uh, no, that's true. That's shaped like a gherkin. The walkie-talkie. No, true. The Empire State Building is shaped like a novelty liqueur bottle, I would say. The shard is shaped like a tiny bit of broken wine bottle. <laughs> <laughs> But we didn't bottle wine until 1860, I think it was. So it was what? illegal to sell wine by the bottle between 1636 and 1860. And the reason was that people who were doing it before that, when glass first came in, it was really easy to cheat on the size. So you could sell someone a bottle that wasn't enough mm. wine. So you sold it by the barrel and then you took it home and you put it in your own bottle. There were bottles of wine yeah. that existed. Yeah, yeah, they had them at home. I don't know how you siphon it in. You couldn't buy a bottle. Yeah. Because I get a bit annoyed when there's not a reasonable size option at a bar. And if I had to choose between a glass of wine and a barrel of wine, (laughs) I'd be very annoyed. I'd I'd like a large glass, please. No, we don't do that. We do 125 mils or a barrel. (laughs) Uh, I'll have a barrel. Have you heard about the government's wine cellar? No. no. So the government of this country has a wine cellar and it's for, for when they host parties or receptions or dignitaries or big dinners. You know, they do loads of official occasions. And so they have to have a wine cellar and it's got about 34,000 bottles of wine in it, valued, I think, about £800,000. But it's really clever. They try and self-fund by selling off every year or every few years. They sell off some really good wines. You know, they sell mm-hmm. one yeah. bottle of a great wine, which allows them to throw an entire party with rubbish with wine. Shit wine, yeah, <laughs> basically. And they've got. And during the Second World War, the, one of the first um, aggressive actions of Britain in the entire war was to requisition the wine from the German embassy. 
Similarly, I didn't know about the Bolshevik Revolution and its running into wine problems. Mm. Um, so this was when the Bolsheviks stormed the Winter Palace. The Winter Palace obviously had this enormous wine cellar, which they all discovered, all the Red Guard had been sent in, and they got really <laughs> drunk immediately. Was there a Rosé Guard as well who were not as popular? <laughs> um so, yeah, they went and got really drunk, and then they'd send others in. So the leaders, the Bolshevik leaders, your Lenins, uh, they're quite annoyed because they really want to get on with the job. And they keep sending in more guards and more people <laughs> in their revolutionary lot. And they kept getting drunk. And I was reading an extract from this guy called Antonov Ovsienko, who was a Bolshevik commander. And he remembered repeatedly sending troops in and them succumbing. <laughs> Eventually, he said, we sent armoured cars to drive away other crowds, but the armoured cars started weaving suspiciously after a short amount of time and then he said they tried to flood the cellars so that this wine issue was totally removed and the firemen they deployed to flood the cellars ended up getting drunk so they failed <laughs> to do that it was just havoc that is amazing yeah very undisciplined that's so funny um have you heard of uh octavian vaults no it's a, it's another mine actually and it's in wiltshire and it's got five million bottles of wine in it what oh no so but this one that's the world's biggest has got two million. No, you're right. I'm looking at that and doubting it now. But it's under Corsham in Wiltshire. I mean, it's not... It's Wait, just... Corsham's where the secret nuclear bunker is as well. Well... They've got a lot on the ground there. <laughs> it's basically for, um, you know, wealthy people or famous people, but it's, it's the size of 20 football pitches. And they hold a huge amount of wine there, oh. which people have as investments and things like that. I think I should go and check it out. Yeah. For um, research purposes. Yeah, yeah. If I don't come out for a while, Anna, come along. <laughs> just make sure I'm okay. Then I we'll think send, they'll send me. Send yeah. in Alex as well. I'm send Dan an armoured car. We'll, we'll send it back and find that Anna's finished it all off. That's the only way to end one of these things. If Anna had been in the Russian Revolution, it would have all been over a lot faster. <laughs> what I quite like about wine is how French wine has just always been the best wine. So even just, from... This is the wankiest thing you've ever said on a podcast. French wine is always the best wine. When the Greeks first met the Gauls, and tasted what the grapes were like, what the wine was like. They were like, this is obviously the only wine we're going to drink. Same with the Romans from the start of the Roman Empire. Uh, the invasion of the Gauls in like the 50s BC, they immediately started making sure all their wine was imported from there. To the extent that by 92 AD, uh, the Emperor Domitian said that he wasn't going to allow... Um, any new planting in France. So they had, they possessed France here in France by that point. He said, you're not allowed to plant vines here because it's ruining the industry back home. It's ruining the Roman industry because wow. people only want to drink French wine. Wow. So there must be, an, there's an objective quality to French wine that yeah. must be better. Mm. Well, there's an objective quality to Moldovan wine that says it's not as good. <laughs> <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> They weren't banning any Moldovans from growing their own vines and exporting them. Sure, feel free to try to sell us your wine. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, wine sellers can have rat problems. Um, can they? Ra yeah, they can, as in because they're sellers. Yeah. Um, and a lot of French uh, wine sellers have rat problems. Um, and you get populations of alcoholic rats to mm. the extent where there is a traditional Bordeaux recipe for rat that uh, you what? grill alcoholic rats it specifies alcoholic rats as part of the recipe because no. they've, they've drunk rat right. is that do, true? how do you identify whether a rat is an alcoholic or not <laughs> if, if you notice the rat drinking in the morning is that when you know yeah, that you I can cook so. the rat yeah. okay. it's, it's, they've got shaky paws uh, <laughs> can the rat identify that it's an alcoholic I think there's a it lot of it's fine. big stage it of denial even yeah. it's a rat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> admitting you have a problem is the first Admitting you are a rat is the first yeah. step. 
<laughs> well, stage 12, the cooking, is um, is you skin them and eviscerate them, brush them with a thick sauce of olive oil and crushed shallots, and grill them over a fire, fire of broken wine barrels. So, I mean, it's it, there is a sort of element of romanticism about the wine included in there because you have to burn a wine barrel as well. But, like, that's kind of cool, right? That's very yeah. cool. romanticism. <laughs> it does sound post-apocalyptic as well. It's true. Um, it's true. I think it's a shame Valentine's Day is over. Otherwise, we'd all be serenading our partners with what do you this think exact recipe. Doing now? <laughs> okay, it's time for fact number three, and that is Anna. Yep, my fact this week is that before they settled on the name Windsor, surnames that were considered for the royal family included Gelf, Whipper. Wetton, Tudor Stewart, and England. <laughs> um, I like Tudor Stewart because it's like a double barrel where they've taken the both sides of the family. I know, yeah. but I, I think they were worried it might sound a bit posh, and the royal family you know yeah. how they like to yeah. not give that impression. Yeah, they went really <laughs> old. Good old Windsor. Salt of the earth people, <laughs> I like Gelf and Wetton especially. I've been in a lot of uh, you know first idea brainstorming meetings where it's just <laughs> there's no bad ideas, and that really sounds like it's in one of those. What is Gelf? How do you spell Gelf? So it's G-U-E-L-P-H, so oh, yeah. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation, Guelph. actually. Uh, maybe Guelph. It's... <laughs> Guelph. The house it's... of Guelph sounds so rubbish. <laughs> so there was reasoning for all of this. This was in 1917. So the royal family, descended from Queen Victoria, who'd married Albert, were really officially the Saxe-Coburg-Gotha family, which had a bit of a German ring to it. And in 1917, <laughs> for obvious reasons, uh, Germany wasn't everyone's favourite country. And they decided to change their name. And they changed it to Windsor. And all of these other names genuinely were just... Justified. So um, Albert's house, uh, the Saxon royal house, had the names Wettin and Whipper in it. And then Guelph came from the Hanoverian royal house. And then, yeah, people threw in Tudor Stuart. Why not? Everyone loved the Tudors. Everyone loved the Stuarts. The thing is, Hanover is in Germany. Right, so people would have picked up. That's probably why it was yeah. dismissed quite early on. Yeah. I think you've buried the most hilarious lead in the story in that they took the name from Windsor Castle, so the royal family mm. is named after Windsor Castle rather than <laughs> vice versa. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's insane. That is very weird. It's so funny. But nobody knew what the official surname was because it yeah. had never been used. They didn't really know if they had a surname or not. Yeah. And yeah. when they got rid of the surname, it wasn't just the surname, it was the use of degrees, styles, dignitaries, titles, and honours of dukes and duchesses of, Sa- of Saxony and princes and princesses of the Saxe, Coburg and Gotha, and all other German degrees, styles, dignitaries, titles, honours, and appellations, because they have all this crap, like, at the beginning mm-hmm. and the end of their name. So they had to completely rebrand themselves. It's not just a case of changing your name. It's but no. isn't the Queen now Windsor Mountbatten? Yeah. Yes. Because you, uh, Philip took, he wanted to No, his it's name her favourite right? cake. <laughs> <laughs> Is it even a she cake? always orders no. it when she's uh, used Mount, to You'll think of Mount Battenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like Posh two normal Battenbergs on top of each other. <laughs> that is weird, though, because the Mount Battens were the Battenbergs, but they uh. changed to so the Mount Battens are Philip's family, and oh, at the yeah. same time, they thought we need to sound a bit less German, so they changed to Mount Batten. So, get this. Do you know the exact <laughs> thing which prompted them to change? Because I mean, yeah. we'd had three years of total war against Germany mm-hmm. before they thought, oh, maybe we shouldn't be sounding so German. <laughs> the thing which prompted it was that there was a bombing raid on London. This And before that, it, there were some bombs from Zeppelins, but this is the first time there was a, bomb, a heavy bomber plane dropping bombs on the British population. June 1917, and the bomber planes were called Gotha Planes. That was the name. And people looked and thought, hang on, if they're called Gotha Planes... <laughs> And those guys are called the Saxacoba Gothers. <laughs> Something's not right. Yeah. And so, and it was a, within a month they changed the name. That was how fast the turnaround was, which is quite a speedy. But we still rebranding. have Goths. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. Why didn't they rebrand? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Imagine, oh, look, there's a pack of Windsors over there on the street. <laughs> but the other thing is, why didn't the Germans then just rename their planes Windsors? <laughs> just, every think... time the Queen changed her name, they just renamed the planes. I don't think the, the priority of the German Luftwaffe was to sort of gently troll the royal family <laughs> into submission. I think they were trying to just blow up the whole country. I agree with that. But then on the other hand, there is a certain kind of propaganda thing that they're trying to do all the time, isn't it? Yeah. So I reckon it would work that. I do agree. They missed the trick. Yeah. Um, do you know why Elizabeth is Windsor Mountbatten rather than just Windsor, which was the suggestion? No, is Mountbatten something to do with Prince Philip or something? Or? It certainly is, but they were the Windsor house and actually when they were born, Charles and Anne weren't born Windsor Mountbatten. But then a what's described as an expert amateur wrote to the royal family <laughs> or wrote to the government and said, if this Prince Andrew, who was about to be born, if this baby that the Queen's pregnant with is born not with his father's name, then he will have the badge of bastardry upon him. Because, wow. you know, it's a bit embarrassing to not have your father. It implies your parents might not be married um, and this caused this huge consternation and there was an official uh, parliamentary investigation into it where they decided eventually that they had to add Mountbatten to the name because otherwise it, people would just assume Prince Andrew was a bastard born out of wedlock I mean and of course, clearly people knew didn't they that, that he, he was, his, literally his parents were the Queen and Prince Philip you would have thought at least at that the... point on the royal family went on to avoid any controversies due to heritage <laughs> thank god that was the last the trouble line. Prince Andrew ever caused <laughs> <laughs> but um, Prince Charles calls himself Charles Wales, doesn't he? Yeah, they still oh, play yeah. pretty fast and loose with their surnames, don't they? Which would have been even more embarrassing if they'd been called England. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Especially would he have like hyphenated to... to England Wales? <laughs> they would have no, like a football match. <laughs> <laughs> what was that thing that you said they would have if the child was born with... Uh, the badge of bastardry. That, weirdly, is, is that my a... only Boy Scout achievement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All the other lads clubbed together and got over me. Pretty proud. <laughs> what was the, the guy was? What was he? An amateur or what was he called? Expert amateur. Expert. They just referred to him as an expert just amateur. I feel like we get quite a lot of those actually writing into QI, and but we love them, by the way. He mm-hmm. he had he was something like he was a real expert, wasn't it? As in he had I think he'd previously embarrassed the government on other occasions really? by pointing out actually uh, if you do that then genealogically you're screwed. So yeah. he was he was good. Yeah, and always in that tone of voice, which yeah. I've enjoyed. Um, <laughs> did, did you know that another royal surname, Stuart, uh, way further back, like Mary Queen of Scots, kind of yep. time, um, was originally steward, as in like an air steward, as in steward. <laughs> That's um, where he got it from. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. He used to work for Ryanair, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would uh, after his coronation he would push the royal trolley all the way down Westminster Abbey offering duty free (laughs) on the left and the right (laughs) to the pews (laughs) so uh, Mary Queen of Scots changed her name from Stuart to Stuart S-T-U-A-R-T because the French wouldn't have been able to pronounce and they would have pronounced the W as a V and it would have been Stuvard she would have been Mary Stuvard are you serious that's why Stuart doesn't have a W now yeah that's amazing and and they just it was just because people weren't pronouncing it correctly so they were just like well fine but the French wouldn't pronounce the D or the T at the end of that word, would they? Because they miss out the... So it doesn't really matter if it's Stuart or Stuart. No, it's weird that she changed the D to a T. Um, no, yeah, that makes sense. But then she be steward. It's just the steward. But it's then weird. maybe it was just those Ryanair jokes that yeah. just got to her in the yeah. end. <laughs> I think there may be a change in the royal family's name coming up soon. Oh, hello. So Ooh. I'm not certain about this. Okay, but when... Sorry, the- you do say that. I know I do. We <laughs> were saying the other day that I say, I use the word hello to sometimes to mean oh, yeah. oh hello. 
Did you do that? I, I didn't, didn't did believe him. That, I didn't believe it either. Yeah. I do sometimes. Yeah. So weird. But I think that that was the original meaning of the word hello, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not making a point. It's just what I say. No, I know. I just didn't believe you. And I'm really sorry for interrupting you, Andy. When you guys are quite finished. <laughs> so when the throne is inherited from a queen, i.e. down a matrilineal line, yeah. right? The royal house often changes to reflect the patrilineal descent of the new monarch. Okay? It's a bit naughty. But <laughs> so Prince... So Queen Elizabeth is in the Wettin dynasty, as you say, mm-hmm. from a branch of the house of the Saxe-Coburg-Gotha line, okay? Mm-hmm. But Prince Charles, his father's line is Prince Philip, obviously, and Prince Philip is a member of the house of Schleswig-Holstein-Sonderburg-Glucksburg. So genealogically... <laughs> goodness, we won't have the German problem again. <laughs> <laughs> so Charles William, everybody down that line... Because of that sort of ancient, slightly sexist, you know, tradition yeah. of the patrilineal thing, they are all members of that dynasty. They probably will not change to make themselves the Schleswig, Holstein, Sonderburg, Glucksburgs, but there's an outside chance. That's like all of the names they brainstormed put together like, into one big pseudonym. <laughs> it's really weird that they have a hype, like, their surname is a hypothetical surname. They're like, well, this is what our surname would be if we ever really used yeah, it. Yeah, because they don't, don't use them, do they? They don't because they have time, they literally never use them. So the, this, the whole thing is pointless. Don't need them. It's like Madonna. Don't need a surname. Yeah. Same thing. Madonna Ciccone, you mean? Oh, sod off. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, in royal news, this is the thing that's happened this week, which you probably read about, is the uh, thing about Prince Henrik, who was the uh, Danish Queen Margaret's husband, who died this week or last week. Um, But it's just a thing that's in the news this week, so I was reminded of it. But I find it really weird that Prince Henrik of Denmark has been annoyed his whole life that he hasn't been promoted to the same level as his wife. Like, he has made no secret of the fact that he's furious that he's not king consort, he's prince consort. That is weird. He doesn't have the same status as his son or his wife. So he's just died, and he has refused to be buried next to his wife, uh, the Danish Queen Margaret, because he's like, well, if you don't think we're equal in life, I guess we're not equal in death. Wait, is she still alive? Yeah. Well, I think she can make the decision for him now, can't she? (laughs) I'm sorry to be crude about it, but... She's she's done the graceful thing and allowed him not to be buried in the grave space. I mean, you can have a compromise and he would just be buried facing away with his arms crossed. (laughs) (laughs) Clutching the TV remote with him. (laughs) Did you know all Spanish people have a secret surname? (laughs) I'm not even joking. Is it the same for everyone? No, it's different for everyone. Right, okay. Children for everyone. (laughs) Well, no, logically. I've boxed myself into a corner there. Do you know the Thai, uh, in Thailand, sorry to interrupt, we'll get back to that, but in Thailand, (laughs) every family has to have a different surname. You what? just knocked Whoa. Andy off the fax stool with your feet <laughs> and then jumped on it. What was no, that? This is, it's extremely relevant. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. don't know if it's relevant or not. I haven't <laughs> yeah. told you my facts yet. I think that would have been a nice follow-on fact had Andy finished his. No, it was relevant to the little stupid joke that I made in the middle <laughs> of Andy's thing, which wasn't really relevant. Yeah. Um, yeah, but a single family has to have a given family name, but it's not allowed to be the same as anyone else. Wait, so what? everyone's got a different surname. How do you know if someone's your cousin? You don't. Oh. <laughs> One day they're going to run out. Well, they're quite long Thai names, aren't they? They are. That's, that's why they're so. Why. That's probably why they're so long. Yeah, it's like your password for your computer. <laughs> if you're long enough, no one else <laughs> is going to have the we same all, one. We all live with this issue online every so day. We have to have unique codes for yeah. it. But you then have to have a surname plus one, two, three, and then yeah. your cat's name. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name? It's Andrew Smith, nineteen eighty-six. <laughs> <laughs> right. Did you know that all Spanish people have a secret second surname that no one outside Spain knows about? Wow. Oh, what? Yeah. So children inherit two surnames, okay, one from their mother, one from their father. So there are Spanish people who are called, you'll have heard of them, Rafael Nadal Pereira, Enrique Iglesias Presler, and Fernando Alonso Diaz. These are all their actual names. 
So those third ones, why aren't they? Why don't we know about the third ones? Um, it's it's not common. It's not reported. It's and how did you get this scoop? Who <laughs> <laughs> leaked this? Okay. Well, here's the interesting thing: is that until recently, automatically, the first one would be from the husband, from the male parent, and the second one uh, from the female parent, the mother. And children would only inherit properly the first surname of each parent. So there's over time, there's a trend towards keeping male surnames and not female ones. And as of last year, parents get to choose. So that will now Mm. be balanced out a bit. True in Russia as well. They have secret secret surnames. Um, So um, Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin, that's his real name. I can see why he cut the unnecessary, (laughs) (laughs) basically. Yeah, that's why Russian novels are so confusing to read. Yes. So many different bloody names. The Spanish novel is quite interesting because it's kind of like uh, natural selection through surnames because the nicest surname from now on, the nicest surname will be picked. So you'll get (laughs) lovely surnames. That's true, actually. Because it's unlikely you're going to be called you know, dick face, cockhead, and then like even like our two shit names to pick from. Which one they do? Yeah, th- that is an unlikely name. <laughs> Rude names are dying out. So in 1881, there were 3,211 cocks in the UK, and now there are only 785. And they're all in the House of Commons. <laughs> yeah. nah, it's a joke. It's 650 capacity. Sorry, yeah. it didn't work. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Wow, only 785. Yeah, same with a lot of a uh, lot of surnames like Shufflebottom. That's massively declined. Only three hundred twenty-two of those left. Dafts are going down. It's about a seventy-five percent decline in these names. It's a shame. I tell you, a way to protect a name is by giving people money to have the name. Um, the University of Glasgow. How much office. money would you need to be called Alex Cock? Uh, that's a good point. Um, if I gave you um, ten thousand pounds, but you had to keep Alex Cock for the rest, the rest of your of life, life, no. You serious? Are you kidding? James, I'll do it for a tenner. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm not going to bargain enough to a tenner immediately. We have a winner. (laughs) Oh, okay. Great. I mean, to just the name Cock. Like, there's not even... No, no, no. Anna Anna Cock. Cock. Anna Cock. Yeah, but that's still... Like in Bolton, that's just a nice way of saying hello to Anna. (laughs) All right, Anna Cock. Okay. Um, Is it? Yeah. That sounds like the kind of thing you're telling me now. Punch in the face. <laughs> anyway, the city, the University of Glasgow, offer a grant of up to five hundred pounds for anyone with the surname Graham. It's called it's called the Graham Trust, and <laughs> they offer it because traditionally Graham was a name for poor people a long time ago. Are you joking? Keep the name of, I know. And you still get that. It's just on their website, and there's just a paragraph saying that uh, the original aim from 1759 was the distribution to persons of the name of Graham or descendants of persons of that name such sums that they shall just requisite and to put poor boys of the same name or descendants of such blah blah blah, blah to enable them. But to then it's not a poor name now, is it? No, but it's carried on. You can still do it. But is it? Is, so it's for how much money? Five hundred pounds. Oh, that's not that much. Well, money. Heather Graham, if you're listening, and we know you do. <laughs> Your quid's in now. Former Arsenal manager George Graham. Yeah. Yeah. For another reference, in case you didn't get the Heather Graham one. <laughs> Do you know any of the Grahams? I was trying to think out. of like a rich right. Graham. I can't no. really think of any. No. Heather good. Graham's got to be worth a bob or two. I don't know who that is. Heather Graham. Um, Austin Powers. She's in the second Austin Powers film. She plays Felicity Shagwell. That's an unusual surname. There aren't that many Shagwells these days. Actually, if you're called Shagwell, you can get <laughs> a fifty-pound grant <laughs> from the University of Kiel. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, it's time for fact number four, and that is Alex. My fact of this week is that in 2012, thieves stole an entire ski lift from the Czech Republic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that you specified it was thieves, because imagine if it was law-abiding people who stole, and it it has to be thieves. Yes, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. So one, sorry, just one of the things on the lift, or the 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 entire lift mechanism? So all of the pylons, the cables, (laughs) all of the gondola chairs on it, the whole thing um, was unbelievable. away overnight yeah isn't that crazy was there another ski was there another ski resort that opened its magical new (laughs) lift two days later I reckon but the thing is okay I reckon more than one person was involved in this theft right yeah I I would pretty ambitious to chuck around James I just don't think James walking around with his notepad and his face is coming I think this is the work of more than one person exactly I'm putting my Sherlock Holmes hat on but I think you know you can't do it on your own. No, that would, be no. Another, yeah, no. that would be another great Agatha Christie where Poirot calls them all together in the drawing room. Actually, you all stole the chair. <laughs> <laughs> and where is the chair now? On the moon. <laughs> um, that's incredible. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how they did it. I don't. Surely you'd need sort of like jumbo jet to take it away and stuff, or huge lorries. It's unbelievable. I think. It, well, I think because if you think about ski lifts, um, you can take them apart. I suppose you have the right equipment and you're able to chop up all the pylons. Um, a lot of it. You if know, you getting, have the right equipment, you can take anything apart. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. But it is. It's all like if you think about it, they're quite simply made things. They're huge, just bit, lots and lots and lots of metal. It's not rumbly, really complicated, dense stuff. You've got hollow pylons. You've got a long, long strands of of cable, and that then you've you got can lots just... of individual stackable gondolas. You so. can just wind up the cable onto a reel yeah. or something, yeah, can't you? Well, I'd wind it around one of the gondolas. I think it's probably using, like, when Christmas lights, when you wind it around the plug. <laughs> but as soon as you put it away, it gets knotted, <laughs> and then you open it up. Oh, it's tangled. That's why they haven't set it up yet. They're still trying to get it apart. They, put, they sort of got all the pylons together and tied it together with a string. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that, that happened. Are we going to talk about ski lifts or massive things that have been stolen? Can Ooh. I tell you my one favourite, amazing, my favourite fact about lifts? Um, and then that's the only thing I've got. And then ski we can lifts, go straight then. On to, yeah. Uh, well, cable cars, specifically, because there's no skiing involved in this one. But the this it, it is potentially my favourite fact, if it's true. And I rang <laughs> TFL to find out today, and they haven't got back to me yet. So Coco may yet run in with a note uh, telling me it's true. <laughs> Although um, it's the last fact, so... Yeah, it's, it's not looking it's good not for this confirmation. <laughs> well, either way, it's a cool idea, and it's yeah. sort of half interesting anyway, is that the Emirates cable car, Emirates airline, the gondola which goes from uh, Greenwich to the Docklands over the River Thames, um, it's about 90 metres above the water. The fact that I read was that that's tall enough for most ships to go under, but, you know, just like with Tower Bridge, they have the capability to lift the uh, road for taller ships to get through. The same capability exists with this cable car, which is that if you take off all the gondolas off the cable car, then the reduction in weight means that the cable raises by a few metres, meaning that even ships that are taller than that can get through. I would say if you're wanting to steal that cable car, then you turn up and you take all of the bits first, don't you? You take all of these bubbles (laughs) first and you say, oh no, I'm just doing it because there's a ship on its way. (laughs) And then after that, all you have to do is wind up the rope. I think the easy way would be to put a hook on top of a 90 metre high ship and just drive it as fast (laughs) as you can. And then then pull it. And actually, to be honest, if we're doing this in a cartoon universe, then you probably he would stretch and then he go yeah, true. straight back into central that's but. the old dog taking a string of sausages yeah, exactly. <laughs> all you need is one of the sausages to be in your mouth um, I googled biggest things ever stolen and mm-hmm. um, the internet seems to think it's a mountain Ooh. Oh, yeah. uh, a mountain called Humta Pahad 
mm-hmm. uh, which is in eastern India. And apparently what's happened is locals have just climbed up there and start chiseling bits <laughs> off the top. <laughs> and would... So now if you go there, it's like got a flat top, but it used to have a peaked top. <laughs> oh and so God. they've stolen That's the top. different from stealing the whole mountain, though. They've stolen some of them. That's but like stealing one gondola and saying I've stolen the whole. You've got to make a start somewhere, Alex. <laughs> Not all these things can be stolen overnight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wasn't stolen in a day. Um, <laughs> Actually, Scarfell Pike had a bit of a theft problem as well. Yeah. Speaking of stealing mountains, yeah, there was. This was in 2015, and an artist took the top of Scarfell Pike. He took uh, he took a bit of rock, which I think was about an inch squared. It was in an art exhibition called The Intruder, about how humans like, impose our own categories on nature. And so he mounted this rock that he'd taken from the top of Scarfell Pike, and he got in loads of trouble for it. Aww. And all the, like, the head of Cumbria Tourism said, this is taking the mickey, and we want the top of our mountain back. Yeah, yeah. Good what are you going to say if you're the head of Cumbria Tourism? What are you going to say? Yeah, come, come and have you're a bit more of Cumbria. Yeah, yeah. He's got to preserve Cumbria. Has he? <laughs> yeah. That's his job, isn't it, it's really? It's his job. <laughs> he can't have a laissez-faire attitude to this. His neck is on the line. Here. And he's he's arguably... probably got the DA busting his ass over losing the top of Scarfell yeah, Pike already. Right. the most important part of Cumbria. <laughs> the worst part of Cumbria is a to find in, we come into work and find that you're missing one bit. It's not unreasonable to think that he's going to be pissed off with yeah. this. Um, headline from the bomb of Echo in 2013 mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Stolen prosthetic arm discovered in second hand shop in Bournemouth. Hey! Jesus, no. It's true. It's true. In 2012, uh, police apprehended a woman after she hobbled to the exit from a shop in Oslo uh, in Norway and she was wearing a long skirt covering a 42-inch television that she was carrying between her legs. I think you go for a smaller TV, don't you? Uh, I think her eyes were bigger than her groin in this case, weren't they? (laughs) In 2012, Jamie Oliver complained that 30,000 napkins were stolen mm. from his restaurants every month. And so I was looking at restaurant thefts, and people do steal stuff from restaurants. So the Jamie Oliver ones, just to say, they have his branding on, don't they? They're yeah. like, they're nice, kind of, they look a bit like tea towels, but they got Jamie yeah. Oliver branding on so them. So the, the police should go for, for people who are also called Jamie Oliver. They're, they're the no, no, suspect. it's yeah. people who like Jamie Oliver, not people who are named Jamie okay. Oliver. But people who are called Jamie, you know. It's not a name tag. Jamie Oliver doesn't put that name on all his towels and so that if he loses and they get returned to him. Do you school. put um, your name on all your napkins? Yes. I put them on all my, I put it on all my tissues. <laughs> <laughs> Takes ages to monogram it in and then you blow your nose once. <laughs> um, have you heard of the South American endoscopy gangs? Are they thieves? They must be because they're in this section. <laughs> and what are they stealing with they're, their endoscopes? Well, no, they are stealing endoscopes. Uh, oh. This is a gang who go around hospitals in Europe stealing specifically endoscopy equipment, i.e. things that you put up people's bottoms to look inside them. Are they really daring thefts, like, while they're in use? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not. That's weird, I'm not getting a feed on the <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> it's like when all the lights go out. It's like all the feeds go down. You know, in the hospital, they've just got a massive bank of monitors and they're all going out one by one. <laughs> bank of monitors all showing security bottoms. guards like, what's going on? I mean, that is the worst security guard job in the world, isn't it? <laughs> 2005 in York, £300,000 worth of endoscopes. Leicester the same year, £250,000. How much are they, do you reckon? I don't know. They must be expensive. But 2017, last year, uh, a gang took 1.2 million, I think it was Canadian dollars worth of kit. 2014 to 17, 16 million euros worth of Germany. 
Well, what they think is that it's so that you can check that drug mules have swallowed the drugs. Got it. Oh, oh wow. I know. I was thinking, who's getting backstreet endoscopies in this day? <laughs> Every endoscopy is a back alley. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we wrap up? Yeah. yeah. Like, do you want to know one amazing thing about a ski lift? I would like to know that, yes, yeah. please. Okay, cool. So one amazing thing about a ski lift, I learned, is that in the last couple of years, a snowboarder got stuck on a ski lift. He was stuck for six hours, and this was in the Austrian Alps. It was incredibly cold. It was minus 18 degrees. He was going to be, he didn't know how long he was going to be stuck for. They closed it for the night. So yeah, he's been there for six hours, and he's getting really, really cold. He said he kept falling asleep into some cold-induced stupor, and he realized that he had a lighter on him. So the only thing he could do was burn anything flammable on him. And so he started burning everything he had. So he burned, he had a bunch of tissues, he burned them. Then he burned some business cards he had. And then... He takes I, business cards on a snowboarding trip. Oh, you might meet an executive. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I'd like to give you a wrench. <laughs> so, he must have had them in his wallet or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Fine, yeah. But I mean, you probably will meet an executive. You're on a skiing holiday. And I agree, right. You start off with tissues less important than business cards. Yeah. Right. Both my tissues and my business cards have my name and yeah. phone number monogrammed. <laughs> okay, so that, what did he burn next? Then he had about 100 euros in banknotes and he burned each banknote one by one oh. and he was on the last banknote when someone on a snowmobile saw him. The bad news is he was then stolen by some guys from the Czech Republic. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. Alex. At Alex Bell. Anna. You can email podcast.qi.com. There's also our group account, which is at No Such Thing. There are details there about our tour. We're going all over the UK, the Republic of Ireland, and Australia and New Zealand in May. There are details there of our book and, of course, Behind the Gills documentary about us. That's it for this week. We will see you next time with another bunch of facts. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.